Questions, questions, questions. Uh, one of my favorite writers, Kurt Vonnegut, once said that people don't come to church to listen to preachments. They come to church to daydream about God. And I think he was right. I mean, very rare is the person who wakes up and says, gee, golly, it's Sunday morning. You know what I want to do? I want to go listen to a guy wearing a dress tell me what the Bible says. That's not really why people come to church. Now, if you want to humor me and inflate my ego, then by all means, tell me that's why you're here. But I know that the truth is a little different. We come to church because we're looking for something. We feel something in our life, something, someone, sort of compels us to come. We come because we've got something going on in our life, and we have hope that what happens in church can help make sense of it. Or we've got some darkness in our life, and we're hoping that church can shine a little light in the midst of it. We have things we're worried about or we're questioning, and we come to church looking for answers. Now, this is a good thing because God is in the business of giving us what we need. But sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. However, today we are going to look at a simple question. Is the church political? And the answer is, of course, yes. King Herod heard about the one to be born. In order to shore up his own political rule, he sends troops into the city of Bethlehem. And they murder every child under the age of two. But thankfully, Joseph was warned in a dream, and he and his family escaped to Egypt. Would you all pray with me? The words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. On Christmas Day, just a few days ago, Pope Francis, the leader of the Catholic Church across the world, he stood to deliver his annual Christmas sermon. This Christmas sermon this year was titled, To the City and to the World. Now, lots of sermons that he preaches, lots of sermons I preach, they have these words I call Christianese. You know, these words we use that kind of go over people's heads. And his sermon was full of a lot of it. But there were a few times that he was very pointed in what he had to say. Like this. May the Son of God come down to earth from heaven and protect and sustain all who due to injustice are forced to immigrate in the hope of a better life. It is injustice that makes those people cross deserts and seas that become cemeteries. It is injustice that turns them away from places where they might have hope for a dignified life, but instead find themselves before walls of indifference. This sermon that he preached on Christmas Day came a week after the Pope put up a new cross at the Vatican. A very controversial thing to put up a new cross at the Vatican. And this cross was very controversial because it was a cross surrounded by life jackets. Life jackets that had been taken out of the Mediterranean Sea. Life jackets that had been worn by children and parents and grandparents fleeing from Syria trying to find a better life in Europe. He hung it in memory of all who had died trying to find a better life in Europe. And this is how he ended. May God soften our stony and our self-centered hearts. May God make our hearts into channels of his love. May God bring his smile through our poor faces to all the children of the world, to all who are abandoned and all who suffer violence. Through our frail hands, may God clothe those who have nothing to wear, give bread to the hungry and heal the sick. Through our friendship, such as it is, may God draw close to the elderly and the lonely, to the migrants and the marginalized. On this joyful Christmas day, 
May God bring his tenderness to all and brighten the darkness of his world. And people lost their minds. How dare the Pope make such a political statement on Christmas? How dare he use Jesus to support his own political judgments? There is no room for politics in the manger. Now, there's a lot of political criticism about the nature of politics in the church. Many have raised these concerns about the rise of political rhetoric inside of church buildings. And there's good reason for that. There is the so-called Johnson Amendment that prohibits clergy like me from supporting or talking about particular political candidates from the pulpit. If I did so, I would run the risk of this church losing its tax-exempt status, except pastors do it all the time because no one's ever been prosecuted under the Johnson Amendment. And when rightly considered the table at which we gather, it is a place where divisions end. Even those of red and blue, liberal and conservative, Democrat and Republican. But when we talk about politics of the church, the politics of Jesus, we are already in a losing battle because when we think about politics, it is almost always through the partisan politics of our country. Or put it another way, the politics of Jesus are not the same thing as the politics of America. A politic, rightly understood, is the way in which individuals relate to each other via decisions, which of course has to do with things like democracy, voting, representation. But when we view the politics of the church through the lens of our current political system, which is having a lot of problems these days, we blind ourselves to the ways in which Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he compels those who follow him to live a different kind of politic. A month ago, I shared about a bumper sticker I saw here in Woodbridge, a bumper sticker that just made my brain explode. The bumper sticker said, If Jesus had a gun, he'd still be alive. That is one of the weirdest and strangest bumper stickers I've ever seen in my life. If Jesus had a gun, he'd still be alive. That is a political statement. It's a political statement, and it carries far more layers than we can possibly address in a sermon at church. But suffice it to say that the person with that on their car probably believes and lives according to a a political understanding that everyone should be entitled to have a gun and that, in particular, Christians should be the ones fighting for gun rights. Now, in the U.S., we are all granted the freedom of speech, the freedom to say whatever it is we want to say. But having a bumper sticker that says, if Jesus had a gun, he'd still be alive today, is problematic when we consider the Jesus in that bumper sticker, the guy who said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. The guy who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The guy who said, if someone hits you on the right cheek, offer them the other one also. Those things don't match. We live in a world in which every little thing has become political. Everything. And the church, whether she wants to or not, is political as well. But the politics of the church do not fit neatly into the binaries of Republican and Democrat, as if those things fit neatly into one another in the first place. It is far more complicated. And it's something that we shy away from in the church way too often. You know, Pope Francis this week, he chose to speak forcefully and directly about the role the church has to play in a world where refugees are fleeing from difficult and dangerous situations in hopes of a better life. And people and institutions... This week said he was being political, or that he was being too political. But he wasn't just making it up for the sake of an argument. 
What he said comes from the Bible. In the Old Testament, God orders the people of Israel to not oppress foreigners, for you yourselves know what it was like to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. That's in Exodus. Similarly, they're told to treat foreigners in their midst as if they were native-born and to love them more than they love themselves. That's in Leviticus. Care for the sojourners was a biblical mandate. The people of Israel were told that when you go out to the fields to collect your crops, anything you drop from your hands, do not bend down to the earth to pick it up. Why not? Because those who don't have homes, those who are strangers in your land, shall come behind you and pick it up for themselves. Now, for some of us, that might feel and sound foreign. That's a pun, and I meant it intentionally. But this is the story that has become our story. And to make matters all the more prescient, the story that we gather to celebrate on Christmas Eve, precious little baby Jesus, born in the manger, hanging out with Mary and Joseph, that story, it changes like that. All this light in the darkness, it becomes a very, very dark world. And the story changes to the one that Leo read for us. It's a story of fear, of infant murder, and of migration. King Herod, the political leader, is afraid about the one who has come to deliver Israel into a strange new world. And Herod, like all smart, all powerful, and all effective political leaders, he does what he needs to do to make sure that his reign will continue. He orders his troops right into Bethlehem and tells them to murder any child under the age of two. Merry Christmas, right? Thankfully, Joseph receives word through a dream that he, Mary, and the baby Jesus need to flee. They need to go to Egypt to be strangers in a strange land. In other words, the biblical family, the holy family, become refugees. As Christians, we are people whose story has been shaped by another person's story, the story of Jesus. Jesus, whose life was put into jeopardy by the powers and the principalities while he was still a baby. Jesus, who regularly called into question the political practices of his day by flipping over the tables in the temple, by saying you need to render the thing to God that belonged to God. Jesus, who grants us salvation. Jesus, who was murdered by the state, suffered under the death penalty, and died on a cross. You know, this thing called the church this political group of people, we've come a long way through the centuries. And you can tell how far we've come or how far we've moved by how much we bristle at the thought of politics mixing with church because that doesn't harmonize with the way we've been taught to think and to speak. That everything we do is political, not just because the world says it is, but because it really is. Everything we do in church is political. The songs we sing, the prayers we offer, the meal we share, everything, praying, it's all political. It's political not because we get to listen to a preacher wax lyrical about what the preacher thinks is in the Bible, but because it changes us. When we gather, we are given a new imagination. We are given words that allow us to speak and to think this thing we call Christian. And when we're Christians, we know that Jesus is Lord. And if we believe that Jesus is Lord, then we know that we don't need rights and freedoms that are granted to us through a piece of paper that came after the rule of monarchy. If Jesus is Lord, we believe in taking care of people regardless of whether or not our political parties do. If we believe Jesus is Lord, then we are not captivated by partisan politics that are geared at keeping up divisions. If Jesus is Lord, then we worship a God who on the cross still had his arms outstretched to all, saying, come, 
ye who are weary, I will bring you rest. Being a Christian is not about idolatrous worship of freedom. It's not about denying responsibility. It's not about ignoring the plight of the marginalized. Following Jesus is all about challenging the presumptions of the world. It's about believing that if Jesus is Lord, it changes everything else about who we are. Because we believe in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. And we believe in loving our neighbors as ourselves. We like to do the first part more than we like to do the second part. Because if we need to love, if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, it means we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's not the same thing as being a Democrat or being a Republican. It's called being a Christian. The message of the Bible is that Jesus comes to help those people who can't help themselves. And as Jesus' body in the world today, that's part of who we are. We are people who believe in helping those who need to be helped. But when the politics of our country become the most determinative thing in our lives, it becomes way too easy to believe that the problems of this world are because of people on the left or people on the right. It's because of Democrats or because of Republicans. When Jesus tells us the truth, the problem with the world is inside each and every one of us. We choose to do things we know we shouldn't do, and we avoid doing things we know we should. We're sinners. And most of us, we worship our partisan politics. And when we do that, Jesus calls it idolatry, when we worship our partisan politics, it becomes impossible to even like our neighbors and impossible to love our enemies. If we think the church isn't supposed to be political, then we forget that Jesus has come to bring a kingdom that politicians would never choose. And Jesus came to bring a kingdom. It's a strange one. It's not like the rest of the world. In Jesus' kingdom, trespasses are forgiven. Grace is offered. Enemies are prayed for. Peace is practiced. And all of our earthly differences are swallowed up because it's more important for us to swallow the body and the blood of Jesus at this table. In the end... Our own personal political proclivities, they might not line up with what Jesus had to say, with what Jesus had to do, but Jesus was political, and the church always will be. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. When I was sent to my first church, I had been in my office for about a week, and I was still unpacking boxes when I got a knock at the door. It was the local elected representative for where the church was. I'm not going to say his name, but he came in and he wanted to introduce himself. He said, you know, I've been serving for a while, and he wanted to tell me about some of the things that he thought uh, churches could be working toward in the community, some problems that we could sort of join together to work on. And I really appreciated it. I was very new and naive, and I needed all the help I could get. I thanked him. And then when he got ready to leave my office, he said, by the way, I always appreciate when preachers put in a good word for the coming moment. <laughs> in a sense, he asked me to endorse him from a place of power. The only person I can endorse is Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, none of us in our right minds would ever elect. Who wants a king that tells us to turn the other cheek? Who wants a king that tells us to love our enemies? Who wants a king that tells us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Have you all taken a look at your neighbors recently? <laughs> we never would have elected Jesus. 
Thanks be to God he elected us. We can add all this lofty language by the table. Oh, all division ends. You know, all that stuff. Neither male nor female, nor Greek nor Jew, slave nor free. All are one in Christ Jesus at the table, but that's actually true. Can you imagine if today I prayed over this and at the end, when I came forward to give instructions, I said, by the way, today in church, only Republicans are allowed to get communion. <laughs> or, by the way, today only Democrats are allowed to get communion. Because our party affiliations are more important. No, that's baloney. Jesus says, come to me all. And I will make something of your father. Come to me all, no matter how you lean with your politics. Because I'm going to lean into your life and start to change it around. That's the message of scripture. And it's very cool. Would you all be very message to me for Lord, we are grateful that you have elected us. We are grateful because you had no reason to do so. We know what's really in us. Nothing good. As we continue to put up these walls of division between us, we cease to see things like pews as avenues of connection. We block ourselves off from our neighbors. We even do it from our family and our friends. And we have failed to see that your kingdom is bigger than any kind of label we want to put on it. So as we prepare to come to the table, Lord, we pray that you might help us to see that that is the most political thing the church has ever done, is to say that all are sinners and yet all are forgiven. And all God's people say, Amen. It's good for us to be here. But even better for us to stand and share signs of Christ's peace. And I want to add a little caveat. If you know your own political affiliation and you know someone else in the church with whom you do not agree in terms of their political affiliation, now is the time to go find them. Literally reach across the aisle and share signs of Christ's peace. Don't rush to do so. (laughs) 